welcome to the podcast. I've got Corey here. I'm Chad Wallenberg, and we're jumping into episode two of our note card sessions. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about dinosaurs. We had several people ask questions about dinosaurs or kind of in that lane of biblical thought. And I noticed right now that you are eating a dinosaur green snow cone, Corey. I am. I got an early Father's Day present, and I got a snow cone machine, like not one of those weird Snoopy things, an actual shaved ice, awesome snow cone making machine. And I think I have used like a whole gallon of sugar-free snow cone syrup in the last two days. Yeah, when I was talking to Elizabeth before we started recording. She like started pointing at all of your sugar-free syrup bottles. And she's like, yeah, Corey's put a big dent in this one and this one and this one. And then Cade was on his phone at the counter and just kind of looked up and said, yeah, I'm pretty worried about him. <laughs> yeah, he seems to be genuinely concerned. But if you want to help save my life, come use some of the syrup. Wednesday night at 7.30. We are going to have a board games and snow cones night at the Haven for anybody that's in town. I know a lot of you listening to this are not in town, but if you are, come on, 7.30 at the Haven, Wednesday night. Yep, and if you're not going to be here, go ahead and set an alarm on your phone for June 10th at 7.30 so that when that goes off, you can just think to yourself, I'm not getting a snow cone right now at the Haven, and then you can be sad about it. You could go get your own snow cone, but they'll charge you money. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. So dinosaurs is our topic for this week. Um, I'm really excited. This is a really fun topic. It was a whole lot of fun prepping for the show with you and just kind of thinking through this with you. Um, so how should we think about dinosaurs, right? It's one of those subjects that it can be, it can be misunderstood in so many ways. And, you know, that's the type of subject where you might be sitting in a, in a science class where people are, you know, will throw out the dinosaurs and be like, yeah, but the dinosaurs, but they're also something that's really cool. You know, I've got Reed and Deacon, I've got a, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old and they love dinosaurs, right? And uh, should I feel uncomfortable teaching them about dinosaurs as a Christian? That's a great question because when I was a kid, the passages we're going to look at today were passages we learned about in vacation Bible school and Sunday school. Like, Chad, like you said when we were prepping for this, it's the kind of thing that was great sixth-grade boys Sunday school material yeah. when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. But we've kind of, between all the evolution and creation debate and all this fuss, and people have kind of strayed away from these scriptures. But we're going to look at the actual Bible today in actual scriptures. Mm -hmm. And I love this passage we're going to talk about because— like many other passages in the Bible, it shows us the actual verifiable reliability of Scripture. Yeah, because when it comes down to it, really, the Scriptures aren't as in incompatible with dinosaurs as one might think on the surface, right? No, they're not. And, and what they do is they show that the author of Scripture, we're going to look specifically at the book of Job today and, and maybe jump around a little bit, they show that the author of Scripture knows more than a person at that time could know without divine intervention. And there's other passages like that, too. Yeah. There's a lot of places, just like you said, that um, really establish the Bible's reliability when it comes to several things. And really, just to you know, kind of lay out the direction we're going to go, um, we can look at the Bible's reliability in a lot of different subjects that are either have direct consequences when it comes to how we think about dinosaurs or um, are similar enough in nature when it comes to thinking about science and, and the, um, 
what the Bible teaches about, you know, scientific knowledge and just knowledge in general that indicate that really the Bible is a reliable source of truth in many areas where um, a modern or postmodern Christian might just assume that it's not, right? Absolutely, Chad. You know, people don't realize that the water cycle, you know what water cycle is. So it rains and then it streams up in pools and then evaporates and goes up to the sky where it condensates into clouds and then it rains again. Mm -hmm. That water cycle was discovered and established by Bernard Palisay in the year 1580. He's the guy that figured that out. Yeah. But Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 7 of the Bible, which was written around 935 B.C., so 2,400 years in advance, lays out the water cycle. Mm -hmm. Solomon specifically says the water falls from the sky and goes back up to the sky and falls again. He lays out the water cycle. Also, people for many, many years believed in a geocentric universe. We believed that we were the center of the universe, Mm -hmm. which makes sense. Lots of times, I think I'm the center of the universe. That's the way we are. (laughs) We're all kind of us-centered. Yeah. But the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, it talks about the circuit of the earth, the circuit the earth travels on. So Isaiah, way back thousands of years before now, realized that we lived in a heliocentric universe and Mm -hmm. we circle the earth we circle the sun on a circuit yeah so all through the bible there are things like that that you can point to and say well how did they know that yeah and we're going to look at one of those today and we're going to look in the book of job about two animals now they're not called dinosaurs Mm -hmm. because that wasn't a word they weren't speaking english and they weren't speaking greek Mm -hmm. we're going to look today at a behemoth and a leviathan, and then later we're going to look at a terran or a dragon, as it's mm-hmm. translated and probably in your Bible. Yeah. Yeah, and just, just remind me, Corey, what year was the King James Version translated? Was it in— I the, have no idea. I think it was in 1511. I think that that's the year it came out. That could be completely wrong. I just tried to Google it while you were talking, and my iPad has no Internet. It would have been—it uh, would have been— around the, the beginnings of the Protestant Revolution, uh, 1500s, yeah. Yeah. And a so, little bit after Columbus. Yeah, and so really, um, the reason I asked is I when you quoted 15, 1580 in talking about the water cycle, kind of struck my mind, like, really, the King James Version where, you know, that kind of that first major English version of the Bible, Ecclesiastes was intact before kind of the scientific community really latched on to the water cycle. Maybe he bought a Gutenberg Bible, read it, and that's where he got the idea. Yeah, it's possible. And really my point is, isn't to like flex or be like, oh, we found it first or whatever. But really my point is, there are a lot of times that people will make a chronological argument and say something like, well, these are just translations of ancient texts, and they try to make it seem like, you know, they were up with the science in the way that they translate it. And one, that's not how translation works at all. But, you know, we we kind of have that argument, too. And there's a lot of places where that applies. Right. And my point is the Bible is reliable in the search for all sorts of truth, not just spiritual truth. Absolutely. 
It is. And the book of Job, like you were talking about early things, mm -hmm. the book of Job, while not chronologically necessarily the oldest book in the Bible, it is physically the oldest book in the Bible. What yeah. I mean by that is the words that are used in the book of Job in Hebrew are archaic, so mm -hmm. much so that people have made the argument that the literal translation of the book of Job doesn't have verbs. Yeah. And so the most accurate translation uh, from a man in the field came running would be the come running man from the fields Yeah, was. Yeah. Because the only concept of a verb, really, that was developed at this point was an auxiliary verb. Mm -hmm. That's how old this book is. Yeah. And this book talks about some animals that is very hard to describe as anything but a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, why don't we just jump in? Do you want me to go ahead and read about the behemoth from Job 40, and we can, we can chat about it? Absolutely. All right. Here we go. Look at the behemoth, which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. Look at the strength of his loins and the power and the muscles of his belly. He stiffens his tail like a cedar tree. The tendons of his thighs are woven firmly together. His bones are like bronze tubes. His limbs are like iron rods. He is the foremost of God's works. Only his maker can draw the sword against him. The hills yield food for him. While all sorts of wild animals play there, he lies under the lotus plants, hiding in the protection of the marshy reeds. Lotus plants cover him with their shade. The willows by the brook surround him. Though the river rages, Behemoth is unafraid. He remains confident, even if the Jordan surges up to his mouth. Can anyone capture him while he looks on or pierce his nose with snares? That's really an incredible passage. And I've heard people argue that maybe this is a hippopotamus, but there's no hippopotamus with a tail like a cedar. Mm -hmm. I've heard people argue that maybe this is some type of crocodile, but crocodiles have little bitty arms, not giant beams of bronze. Mm -hmm. and, and so we have a really unique description. We've got this giant grass-eating amphibious beast whose tail knocks down trees, mm -hmm. who hides under the water but then rises up high. Yeah. What's that sound like to you, Chad? It sounds kind of like a brontosaurus. It does. <laughs> it sounds like, like what I would call a cephalopod because my son was really into Dinosaur Train, the cartoon on OETA yeah. when he was little, and so I would watch all these dinosaur episodes, and it sounds like the brontosaurus, gigantosaurus, mm -hmm. cephalopod -y type Loch Ness monster looking thing. Yeah. The long neck dinosaur exactly. situation. But but this was written long before anyone ever talked about these things. Mm -hmm. Any, anyone ever talked about these long neck amphibious sea dwelling dinosaurs mm -hmm. described in the oldest book we have. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, look at these. Look at these things that I made along with you, right? Absolutely. And and that seems to be that the people he's writing to are familiar. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to find contemporaneous descriptions of familiar animals throughout history. Mm -hmm. I once heard George R. R. Martin talking about the fact that he grew up in, I think it was New York City, and he'd never seen a horse. And he'd seen pictures of horses, but he couldn't get an accurate feel for how they acted or how big they were mm -hmm. in comparison to a human. 
And he tried to find text. He tried to read in the encyclopedia, and he couldn't find anywhere where horses were accurately described. And so in his first book that he wrote, and he described how this horse acted, he actually used the sentence in a very horse-like manner. (laughs) Because that was the only way he knew to describe it, because he couldn't find any writing about a horse. Yeah. And in the same way, it's very hard to find contemporaneous descriptions. But it seems here clear that the author, who God, God is speaking, he's being quoted here, mm-hmm. and the listener each understand the animal they're talking about. Yeah. They know about this animal and not in a history book kind of way because yeah. they weren't. Yeah. There's a familiarity there. There's a knowledge that somehow miraculously occurs. Yeah, it really... It really feels a lot like the way that my dad would talk to me, right? My dad is a rancher. He knows more about cattle than anybody I've ever known. And so many times his illustrations would be centered around cattle, right? And, you know, when he tried to give me advice about dating, he wouldn't say, you know what, you need to look for these sorts of traits in a woman. He would say, you know what, everyone goes for the good looking cows that everybody, you know, wants to sell at the start of the auction. But really, you need to look for the reliable cow, right? It's kind of funny thinking of him comparing women to cows, but really that was one of the most affectionate illustrations that he could give, right? But because that was common, right? It was him saying, look at that, and and I want to tell you you know, how that should translate to your life, which is what this feels like. It's funny you say that because one of the reasons when I was a kid I kind of tried to avoid feeding the cows with my dad is we'd have all these awkward conversations <laughs> about things like what we talked about last week, and I didn't want to have those conversations. Now, looking back now, I really miss that time, but yeah. it was awkward. Right? right? Yeah. yeah. So Yeah, but that, I, I feel that's like that's what's happening here, right? Like God is saying, look at the behemoth, right? And that doesn't really make any point towards what God was actually saying, but my point is, this was something that was common, right? He's yeah. pointing across the field and saying, look at that. It's a familiar illustration. Yeah. And, and we're going to talk about the Leviathan in a minute. But it is, it's worth noting that the older books in the Bible don't mention behemoth and Leviathan mm-hmm. uh, in, in detail. I, I do think the word Leviathan is used in Psalms. Yeah. But they don't go into much detail, and it's not mentioned again. And mm-hmm. so... I don't think later on in the Bible, certainly, there's any indication that there was a familiarity with these animals, but in the beginning, there was. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the behemoth. Chad, why don't you read to us about the Leviathan? All right, I'll read that from Job 41. Can you draw out the Leviathan with a fish hook, or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose, or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who would come near to him with a bridle? Who can open the doors of his face or around his teeth is terror? 
His back is made of rows of shields, shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. His sneezing flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches. Sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils comes forth smoke as from boil- a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals and a flame comes forth from his mouth. In his neck abides strength and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh stick together, firmly cast on him and immovable. His heart is hard as stone, hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. At the crashing, they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, he does not avail, nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. He counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. For make him flee. For him, sling stones are turned to stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the rattle of javelins. His underparts are like sharp pot shards. He spreads himself like the threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him, he leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be white-haired. On earth, there is not his like. A creature without fear, he sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. That's a pretty terrifying animal. It is. And I, I said earlier that people have compared the behemoth to the alligator. It's actually the leviathan. People compare yeah. the behemoth to the hippopotamus, which uh-huh. I said the problem with that is you can't knock down a tree with a hippopotamus's tail. Yeah. They compare sometimes, they make the argument that the crocodile is the leviathan. But mm-hmm. this, as it says, has these huge limbs Yeah, that rise above the forest. That doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Crocodiles, they'd have to be on stilts. Yeah, yeah. You have the, you have this giant beast with scales of armor and huge limbs, who churns up a forest. Now think about that word churn. Yeah, yeah. You walk through a forest and churn. I think of churning water, uh-huh. because I have the ability to displace water and move it around. Yeah. But I can churn up grass when I walk through it because the leaves of glass, yeah. grass are puny compared to me. Yeah. It makes me think of like. Jurassic Park, when the big T-Rex is like coming through the trees and you see the trees kind of, you see waves in the trees as it's coming towards you, right? And so they see the churning of the forest before they ever see the animal, right? Again, he's referring to this huge familiar animal who is so big he churns a forest. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. What does that sound like to you, Chad? You kind of hinted. Yeah, it sounds like a T-Rex, right? It does sound like a T-Rex or even a dragon. Yeah. Now that sounds crazy, right? To talk mm-hmm. about dragons, mm-hmm. and of course we all think of like the Lord of the Rings and and how how Smog had the one hole in his armor, mm-hmm. and and they talk about this armor, and that's what I always think of. I think of the little Hobbit going in a barrel to find Smog's weakness in his yeah. armor. But yeah. this it sounds like a T Rex, but he says he breathes fire, or mm-hmm. says doesn't say breathes fire. It says fire comes from his mouth, mm-hmm. and that sounds absolutely preposterous it sounds ludicrous but yeah we know of many animals who exist in today's society who actually release belch release flammable gases mm-hmm. yeah uh, 
you've heard people talk about methane or ethanol mm -hmm. being released. Those things are flammable and can spark, and that's not a scientifically impossible thing yeah. because we know that can happen now. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so that's a doable thing. Now, we don't know if any of the dinosaurs we found fossils for now released those gases or were able mm -hmm. to make fire, and I certainly don't know that that's how this happened. Yeah. I'm not... Yeah, I was not there. Yeah. I feel old sometimes, but I'm not that old. Yeah, I wasn't there. But we have this giant dinosaur-sounding beast that is described familiarly in the Bible. These yeah. people, again, seem to know what they're talking about in detail, so much so that they recognize these things. Yeah, And I also want to point out, if this was not an accurate description, it would be very unlikely a book like this would be passed down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, I mean, just put yourself in the position of the people who are originally reading this, right? That's something we so often don't do with the scriptures. We, we read it from a modern viewpoint, right? Um, C.S. Lewis referred to this phenomenon as chronological snobbery, right? We, we read it from a modern viewpoint and, and think that because we are modern, we are best equipped to understand what's being said, but really try to put yourself in the position of the people who would have been originally reading this, right? If this would have sounded preposterous to the people who were reading this, they would have been like, what? No. I mean, they wouldn't have read it and taken it and passed it down like you said, right? Absolutely. And it's not just these two books. Uh, we also have the Hebrew word Terran that we would, we would type out T-A-R-Y-N is how mm -hmm. we would transliterate that word. Yeah. And this word Terran, uh, or if you were writing it in in an English alphabet but using Hebrew letters, you just do T-R-N. Mm -hmm. This word Terran is used multiple times, maybe as many as ten times in the Old Testament, and it's translated to the dragon mm -hmm. or sometimes the giant serpent, those type things, depending on your, your translation. Yeah. But to my knowledge, I can't find anywhere it's described. It's always things like Psalm 91.13 says, The Lord is able to deliver you from the dragon. And mm -hmm. then lists a bunch of other animals that yeah. God can deliver you from. Yeah. All of which, by the way, are familiar animals. Mm -hmm. Doesn't describe a dragon at all. But somewhere along the line, when people who knew this word translated, they translate it to dragon. And yeah. we don't really have any context from that. But every culture I know of talks about dragons, mm -hmm. whether it's China or uh, the Middle East in this this case, whether it's Vikings, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's Druids. I've heard lots of stories about dragons from all these cultures, and they're remarkably similar. Yeah, which again would lend itself to somehow somebody had a familiar relationship with these giant scaly lizards. Yeah, which goes back to your illustration about um, about the description of a horse, right? Like it's really hard to find a accurate, understandable description of a horse because for so much of time, horses were such a part of culture that you would just say a horse-like manner, right? And everybody just understood what that meant, right? And I really think that the fact that this word Terran was used in several different places without ever having a description really 
supports that it was probably familiar. Everybody knew what that word meant, right? And it seems to be familiar for a lot later in time than, say, the behemoth and the Leviathan. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't know why that is. I don't know. Maybe a Terran is referring to the same thing as one of those other things, yeah. and it's a later word. But I don't know, but mm-hmm. it's referred over and over. Yeah, so really, when we look at the behemoth, when we look at the Leviathan, when we look at the Terran, I think that it's safe to say creatures that are similar to what we now understand as dinosaurs find their way into several different points in in the Old Testament scriptures, right? Like they are there. They just do. Yeah. yeah. And and so I think that that is it's not only fascinating, right? That that is really a testament to the reliability of scriptures, right? Um, if you, I mean, I have a history degree. I'm kind of a history geek, right? That is the type of evidence, if we were looking into any other historical source and saw common descriptions of things, we would look at it and say, you know what, this is more likely to be a historical accurate document because if something took a long, if somebody took a long time to describe something that everybody should have known anyway, it's more likely to feel fabricated, right? Absolutely. And so, you know, we can look at this and say, you know what? They probably had some sort of understanding of something that seems a lot like dinosaurs, which is really a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah. And so let me ask you this. You know, we've kind of come to the agreement that the scriptures refer to dinosaur-like creatures, right? How in the world is this relevant to us outside of just being able to say, well, the Bible talks about them, right? Well, well we're going to get to a scriptural application for how it changes our life in a minute. Mm-hmm. But I think the first thing to realize is that in this instance, the Bible is supported by science. Mm-hmm. The Bible talks about a creature, and now we've dug up those creatures. Yeah, Just like the Bible talks about unicorns, and now uh, we've found fossils of unicorns. If you want to Google the Siberian unicorn, I can't remember the Greek word. Yeah, They're really scary-looking, cool beasts, though. <laughs> they do not look like My Little Pony. They look like they look like My Terrible Nightmare. Yeah. But over and over again, we find evidence that supports the Bible. Mm-hmm. Now, science teaches today that dinosaurs and humans did not coexist at the same time in the history of the world. Yeah. There are a thousand different ways we could go from this. We could argue about, well, was the earth is the earth as old as as scientists would say or is it as young as the literal translation of the Bible would say? Are we talking about millions of years or 15,000 years? Mm-hmm. We could argue about carbon dating. We could argue about all those things. And yeah. that's not a debate for today. Mm-hmm. Because here's what you take away. If God didn't tell Job about the dinosaurs, how do you know about them? Yeah. Well, the only argument would be because he saw one. Well, that also refutes science. Yeah. So either way you go, it points back to Jesus. Yeah. Uh, We have other things in the Bible, just like the water cycle, Mm -hmm. just like the heliocentric universe, that point to the divine inspiration of Scripture. Yes. So we can trust God's Word, and we can worry about the details another time. I have some thoughts. I have some theories. But I don't know that it's beneficial to get into those today. Yeah. I think it's more beneficial to talk about 
how does this make us a better Christian? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because no matter how you slice it, there the scripture is pointing to a reality, right? Whether that is a reality that was far in Job's history or contemporary to Job, right? And I think that's amazing. Um, I mean, really, when you reflect on that, it really says a lot about the reliability of scripture, you know? Sure, it does. And the reason scripture is reliable is it tells us how to live our life. Yeah. So the question is, how can we have a takeaway from dinosaurs? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the Bible is clear. If you look in Job 40 and read about the behemoth, God describes this whole behemoth and says, I made that. Mm -hmm. I made that. Yeah. I'm greater than that behemoth. Worship me. Yeah. And then he says, I made the Leviathan an even greater, scarier thing. Mm-hmm. So big. And I'm even bigger. Yeah. And you're even littler. Yeah. Even in the context of the Terran, of the dragon, he says, God can deliver you, can conquer this dragon. Over and over again, God's creation points to worship. Mm-hmm. Over and over again, the things that God has made point us to him like an artist that signs their painting. Yeah. And so when we learn about dinosaurs, it should inspire us to worship a God who is bigger than dinosaurs, Mm -hmm. who created the dinosaurs, who is cooler than Jurassic Park. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? It's the same concept, but just in a biological viewpoint rather than like a cosmological one, right? Yeah. God uses everything. He works all things together for good for those that love mm-hmm. the Lord. Yeah. And this is a beautiful, awesome example of that. Yeah. And I think maybe a good Christian thing to worship God with would be maybe we go eat a snow cone and watch Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> I, it's got to be like a dinosaur green snow cone, though, right? Like the one you just... you. How do you mentioned. know dinosaurs are green? I don't. I watched Jurassic Park, and they're kind of green in Jurassic Park. Are you going to call me out on that one? Really? I don't know. I, I like. Would you blue rather than be pink? Well, I like. I'd like to think of dinosaurs as being blue, like my pickup. Yeah, they probably weren't. Yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and take I've down seen the record. That color. I'm just going to go ahead and take down for the official record that you wish dinosaurs were pink. Okay. <laughs> well, just I mean, before we completely derail, I want to. I want to point out one thing that that thinking about dinosaurs really kind of made me think of, right? Um, at the end of the day, we can look at these descriptions of dinosaurs and say, you know what? This makes me feel more confident about this, the reliability of the scriptures, right? I've said that phrase, reliability of the scriptures, several times during this. But at the end of the day, we don't get to know every detail, right? We have no idea whether or not the behemoth could breathe fire or breathe, you know, flammable materials, or if that was a more figurative phraseology or something. We have no idea whether the Terran was a dragon like we would think of one from kind of our fantasy um, genre, right? Or if it was something else that was called a Terran that was nevertheless terrifying, right? Um, We don't get to know every detail, but... God shows us enough so that he can reveal to us, like, hey, I have this. In the same way that he looked at Job and said, look at the behemoth. It is so much bigger than you. 
but I have defeated the behemoth, right? He looks at, um, like in the story of David and Goliath, where he says, look at this great warrior. I can defeat that great warrior, right? Um, he shows us enough to for us to see how big he is and how awesome he is. But at the same time, this world has been tainted by sin in such a way, and we have been um, limited by our sin in such a way that we don't get to see everything. And it's like um, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, this scripture came to my mind when we were talking about this, you know, um, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but at one point we'll get to see, I'll see you face to face and I shall know fully, you know, all of the things that I don't know. And so there will be a day if we are in Christ that we can find this out, every little detail of what was referred to in Job. And I think that that's really humbling and really exciting all at the same time. Absolutely. The last thing I want to point out just real quickly is mm-hmm. just like we talked about God used the familiar, mm-hmm. we have familiar beasts in our life. Yeah. We have things that seem insurmountable, mm-hmm. whether that's people that are just so awesome and make us feel like failures, whether that's financial issues, social issues, family issues, mm-hmm. health issues. We have things that are insurmountable, but God is bigger than those things. Yeah. And so what I want to challenge each of us to do is let the discomforting point us to comfort. Yes. Let the things that we're afraid of point us to a God that can wipe away our fears and our tears. Mm -hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Amen. I think that that's a great place to end it. Awesome. Okay. See you Wednesday night. See you Wednesday night, bud.